Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to True Restoration. Here is your host. Thank you for having me again. The textbook is Tradition and the Church by Monsignor George Aegis, and it is available on the True Restoration store. Now, Father, we are up to chapter 13. Did you want to start with the headline on the, I guess, the third page of the chapter, or did you want to start with the introduction? No, we can start with the headline. It's fine. Sure. So on page 278, the headline reads, All Catholic revelation must be believed, if not explicitly, at least implicitly. <clears throat> well, that, uh, you know, that headline, I mean, that's uh, of the chapter <clears throat> of this, or the section of this chapter that Monsignor has put, is, um, you know, to a Catholic, uh, this, it should be like a no-brainer. It should be just like, well, yeah. Uh, you know, but it's surprising how um, we he had to put that in there too, and to explain it in way even for Catholics. Um, you know, because even back then, I'm sure, you know, the, you always had some Catholics, of course, who were picking and choosing, or just kind of, well, I don't really have to believe this or that. And but it's really very simple. This is all truths, no matter how great they are, no matter how small they may be, which God has conveyed to man in one way or another uh, through revelation, it must be accepted and believed. It must be accepted and believed. It cannot, uh, there cannot be any doubt in faith or questioning in things of faith. Um, and Monsignor goes and he, he reminds us, he says, the motive or reason of our belief is only one. You know, it's not like, um, because the message is, you know, has good qualities to it, or it's, you know, of course, uh, which it does, but, or, or anything of that near the dignity of it or the importance of it, it's not that. It's the motive for a Catholic, uh, for our belief, is only one. It's, it's this, the authority of God speaking to man. You know, this is what the church calls the formal object of faith. You know, that is what Catholics believe, do. I mean, we believe. Uh, you know, as we say it in the creed, uh, you know, we believe, I believe, I believe in, I, in, in all that the church teaches, etc. And so Monsignor gives a really good uh, example of the, what he was facing, of course, what the church has always faced since the Protestant uh, revolt. Um, there was a, 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 some Protestant theologians who had come up with, and they called it the, the system of fundamental articles. And basically what that is, is that there's, uh, they say that there's only certain general principles of the Christian religion, um, which are dist a distinct faith and belief in which are necessary for, to salvation. And they classify uh, the essential parts of the Christian faith, which they say, you know, must be believed. And then all the rest are like non-essential doctrines, which the Protestants will say, you know, Individual churches might accept or they can reject without forfeiting then their claim to parts of the their universal church that they have. And, you know, it is with that that uh, these Protestant theologians come up, you know, that, uh, um, uh, that you know, these certain things that must be believed, but then the rest can be just, you know, eh, whatever, I can believe it or not. Um, but the thing of it is, and Monsignor points it out, and I kind of laughed when I read it because it is true. It says, you know, he says, has have. Um, even its advocates of this uh, system of fundamental articles have ever been able to enumerate and agree among themselves what is fundamental or non-fundamental in the faith. In other words, they couldn't even agree what is fundamental. Um, but 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 yet they put forth this that system and and the the uh, um, but we know as far as Catholics, of course, the 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 essential note of the faith it lies in the complete the willing, the unhesitating acceptance of all revelation, no matter what it may be. Um, and so the whole deposit of revelation, is Monsignor says, of course, is all the word of God. Um, there is no reason, whatever, for uh, which uh, part of real truth contained in the deposit, part of the deposit of faith should be accepted and believed, and then another part rejected. No, it all has to be believed and accepted. And it's a uh, he he uh, uh, he adds he says to any man who accepts and believes only part of revelation, we must quote the words of Saint Augustine. He believes himself, but not the gospel. But you see, actually, that 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 
little condemnation there that Monsignor does of that whole system of the uh, fundamental articles of Protestantism is really ultimately modernism, <clears throat> is that's actually Vatican II. Because in Vatican II, of course, there's always been, there's been talk, you know, of churches being in partial communion with, uh, you know, the Catholic Church. And uh, there's always talk of, you know, they have partial truths and partial this and partial that, and uh, as if that's a good thing. Um, but, you know, St. Augustine is very clear. He says he believes himself, but not the gospel if they reject any part of that revelation and only accept a little bit. And so, you know, that this is really, you know, this chapter is, and even the next chapter as well, again, is, uh, um, is, uh, is almost like a hammer blow again, yet again on Vatican II, because the ultimate um, theology of Vatican II is Protestantism. Is this basically, is part, parcel of this fundamental uh, articles, basically, of, you know, we can only believe, you know, common denominator kind of things, you know, this sort of things, and everything else is just to be believed or not, really doesn't kind of matter. Um, so, you know, Monsignor, you know, he says, uh, talking about St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, he says, you know, for this reason, the conscious rejection of even one article of revelation, according to St. Thomas Aquinas, is not only sufficient to render one guilty of heresy, but it also shows that one has not faith. You know, and I, I, uh, uh, I think one thing, especially uh, Catholics today, I mean, uh, traditional Catholics, you know, us, you know, who, who have the faith, um, we have a tendency sometimes to, to not hate heresy. You know, we become sometimes soft uh, on on those things, and you know, so we have to, uh, uh, you know, defend, believe, and defend, uh, believe and assent, and also defend even the smallest, you know, so to speak, uh, part of revelation, part of the truth, and um, you know, and because we know then we have the virtue of faith, and you know, if anyone who does not hold to the doctrine of the Church, the Catholic Church. As to, as Monsignor says, to as to an infallible and divine rule, he does not possess the virtue of faith. And I think sometimes you have, uh, you know, this is why you will often will find um, people who would, you know, see the truth or come over and begin to be traditional, but then after a while, you know, kind of meander and wander back to Vatican II because they they have not con. Uh, been convicted of uh, defending and, and believing all of revelation and, and all the truths. And so, um, so Monsignor, you know, continues in that chapter, he, he, and he says that, uh, um, that it cannot be denied <clears throat> that in the deposit of revelation, there are certain truths which are of more vital moment uh, than others. There are some which are so important to know and so necessary to believe that the Church requires explicit belief in them by all of her faithful. These are the truths which, as the same St. Thomas Aquinas says, conduct us directly to eternal life, such as are the three persons of God and the mystery of the incarnation of Christ and such other truths. That reminds me of what Bergoglio came out with recently, that the Trinity has the appearance of unity, but basically, paraphrasing, behind closed doors, they have disagreements. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> that's terrible. and that's a good point. Mm. That's a terrible point because, you know, that when it, that the sure fact that that uh, he said that, uh, and and that's pretty close to exactly what he said. Is mm -hmm. that that I mean, that's that's the same sense that he said it. The sheer fact that he said that into those who have the faith, it should be like nails on a chalkboard. You know, it should be like, you should, that's, as you said, I mean, it's blasphemous mm. to say that. It is, it is terrible to say that because we have a hatred for heresy because that's heresy. Not only really heresy, that's apostasy there mm -hmm. uh, because it's denying the unity, of course, of the Trinity. Of course, we have the great feasts of uh, the, the Trinity Sunday tomorrow, you know, in that regards, the church has always had, but so this is a, a slap in the face, but it's shocking to see. And then he said that, you know, maybe a week or so ago, or, but it's shocking to see how those in the Novus Ordo 
it doesn't matter. They, they, there's not been an outcry about that. There's not been, you know, saying how, ter- how obvious a heresy that is. It's not, you haven't heard a peep about that. And it's been well known. It's been, you know, I know I've seen it on other, you know, Vatican II sites, you know, at such a, I mean, they say these things, but they just, no one says anything about it. And it's a, it's sure sign then again, that, you know, if one does not hold to the doctrine of the church as to an infallible and divine rule, he does not possess the virtue of faith. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, these truths and like, you you know, the Trinity, all, these truths, they must be explicitly believed. Uh, and, and then Monsignor even goes, he says to try to make a distinction between explicitly and then from the title, of course, implicitly. He says that, uh, on the other hand, there are truths which may not necessarily be known, and it is, it is enough that they be implicitly believed. And by, by he, meant, he means by that, doesn't mean that, uh, you know, that uh, somehow you can just, again, pick and choose. But he says, uh, by truth, implicitly believed is meant that truth, which one does not conceive, nor does he know as revealed. It is, however, contained in another truth, which he knows and explicitly believes as revealed. So, in other words, you have a a revealed, explicit, fully defined article of faith. But within that article of faith, you know, you have uh, other truths which are really attached to that as well, which may not have been, so to speak, fleshed out completely. And but yet, the person, the Catholic, of course, assents to everything, assents to that explicit truth, assents and believes all that by that fact then he is really implicitly of course believing all the other truths that may be in in there as well and so you know but the catholic of course makes his act of faith believing everything and the church of course in her wisdom knows and does not expect you know all her members to to know everything that belongs to the faith per se you know no one's a theologian not everyone's a theologian not anyone knows you know exactly the intricacies of this or that uh, part of the faith, but the church is satisfied that they know and believe what is necessary to know and believe. In other words, you know that's what we say in our act of faith: is that you know I believe all that God has revealed and all that the Catholic Church has taught, etc. And so, you know, it's not as if somehow there's a, you know, there's a, uh, you know, a, a unknown per se. Uh, you know, like truth somehow is unknown. Uh, in of itself, it's just that it may not be fleshed out per se to where the faithful could understand it, but yet they assent to it all because they know it's revealed. That moves us on to the next headline, Father, on page 282. It is possible that not all revelation was at all times and everywhere explicitly declared and believed in the church. <clears throat> yeah, Monsignor, again, continues on the, along that line to... to um, flesh out uh that uh, understanding of explicit and implicit and he you know he makes the point of course as many truths which seem to be new or non-scriptural uh, were or are in reality contained in other again universal truths or principles um so you know what had been known explicitly and believed by all was explicitly contained in the scriptures or in tradition, and it was clearly and abundantly announced and defined. Um, but of course, as he, he, Monsignor points out, is that, but it was natural that in, in defending herself, meaning the church, against the many attacks of her enemies, you know, the church made clear what was maybe up to that point obscure. So the church unfolded many revealed truths which were implicitly contained in those explicit truths delivered through the scriptures or tradition. So again, it's not as if there's new truths being had or things of, of new doctrines or dogmas being had. It's just uh, the, the, um, the greater understanding or the greater depth to an explicit truth already known and taught and understood. Um, and, and to be able to then uh, kind of uh, be able to then to ascend to it all and to kind of flesh. This is where the job of, of course, of the theologians, of course, of the church, uh, you know, are able to help uh, kind of flesh things out as they say in a, in a more way. And especially it helps as much as we hate it. You know, when you have heresies pop up or uh, persecutions of the church, that's what often you will find the uh, response of the church has always then been to, uh, defend herself, but in defending herself, of course, she has to be even more so 
more so clear on whatever is being attacked. And so she's able to uh, define it uh, maybe greater length or uh, to to uh, kind of uh, draw out some of those other, again, truths that are already there, mm. uh, but just make them, in a, in a sense, already more well-known as a defense against uh, the errors against her. Yes, when the church has done that, they've never... The church has never declared new or inconsistent doctrines, so to speak, just elaborated or clarified on until, of course, Vatican II came along, which is not the true church. But putting that obviously aside, up till then, yes, there was never any contradiction when they came out with new explanations or further explanation, rather. No, no, there was nothing. There was, there was no... The church, of course, we know because of her infallibility and being, of course, being guided by the Holy Ghost, is that is an impo- it's impossible for the Catholic Church to give error to, or to deceive or uh, to lead astray the faithful. And so, uh, you know, any response, all the actually all the councils of the church really had been a response to either a heresy or some error or some attack upon her um, to uh, defend some elements of truth or to stem off, sometimes stem off a, a, a greater um, uh, attack, maybe later. But nonetheless, there's always been articles that were more defined in those councils. Um, but it's not, again, something like, well, we just decide now, you know, that, um, you know, we believe now that uh, Jesus Christ is true God and true man. Where before, you know, the, before that, well, we didn't really believe that before, but now we're going to say we believe it. No, it was never like that. It was just a, a, a response in a more uh, emphatic way <clears throat> against whatever error had popped up. And so, you know, Monsignor goes through and he says, you know, it was unnecessary as well as impossible for the apostles to announce explicitly each dogma to meet each error. And so Monsignor gives um, four, I believe, points here that uh, kind of as an explanation, and they're they're actually very good. And the first, he says, certain universal truths or principles proposed by the apostles may contain also some other particular truths. Um, In other words, it's... uh, you know, it's some truths, of course, that they that uh, that are there, but yet not maybe have been fully explained to the faithful. But the truth is already there. It's not as if it's deficient on the church's part, or the the truth is deficient. Um, but it's just a matter of, of of maybe shining a greater light upon it for the faithful. And so the second thing Monsignor says, he says the church might have proposed in parts what was composed of several elements. In other words. And he gives the example, and this is a, a good example for us too, especially in today's time. You know, he says, from the beginning, the primacy of the Roman pontiff was clear. But hence, in the course of time, she affirmed its particular office and rights implicitly contained in the primacy. In other words, so the church has always, of course, believed in the primacy of, of the Pope. And that was always, from the very beginning, of course, from St. Peter, it's always believed. As the church, of course, grew, as the church went on, of course, then you begin to flesh out some more things that were attached to that. You know, again, like the particular office and the rights of the of the primacy of the of the pope and things of that nature. Things that were already there. It's just a matter of through the guidance of the Holy Ghost, explaining it in a grander or in a more in-depth way. And so, you know, that's the that's the the again the truth is always is was already there. It's just uh, not anything new being added. It was just, in a sense, being, um, uh, again, fleshed out, you want to say. Um, and the third thing Monsignor says, he says, some truths were or are understood obscurely. And I think I remember we, we had talked about this before, but, and he, he makes this point. He says, this is particularly true of certain references about the future glorification of the church contained in the apocalypse. You know, we, I remember we had talked about how the apocalypse, the book of opposite, is you know is, is kind of veiled in many ways, and the church hasn't necessarily defined a lot of things uh, to that. Um, it's left. It's not as if the truth isn't there. It's just that it's just has not been fleshed out per se by the church. And so, um, and then this fourth thing, Monsignor says, is to safeguard dogmas which are already believed or practiced not through the church teaching, but through the use and observance of the faithful, the church may judge it expedient to proclaim such belief or practice as an article of the faith. And so, 
you know, it, it, these are the things that we can, uh, as a as a reinforcement, that it, it is possible that not <clears throat> uh, everything, of course, was explicitly declared and believed per se in the church, but the truth was there. It was just a matter of because, but everyone upset, every Catholic ups, uh, you know, assents to it all. Um, I always try to use the example like. Uh, there's a difference between, of course, believing everything and an understanding everything. <clears throat> Is that, you know, certainly we believe it all. We have to believe it all. But we may not understand some of the things that we, you know, believe in, in, in fully as maybe as we should or at this point or, uh, but yeah, we still believe it all. It's still believe all the truths. Um, and so it's there for us to continue to try to understand the greater. But the truth has always been there and it does not change. Yes. And there are some matters of faith, Father, which. Arguably, I think it might have been declared as well by the church that the human brains really can't comprehend. For instance, one cannot fully understand the Blessed Trinity and one cannot either fully understand like how God is always was and always will be. It's, it's practically impossible to fully comprehend that. Yes, that's true, because we are finite. You know, mm -hmm. we have a finite understanding. We have finite minds, and those are infinite truths. Those are... You know, again, like tomorrow on the Feast of the Most Blessed Trinity, you know, on Trinity Sunday, it's, um, you know, are we required to understand completely the Trinity? No, because we can't under, understand it completely. What we can understand is what has been revealed by God to us. And so, you know, those are the things we can understand, which he himself and his wisdom, of course, uh, has revealed so that we could understand these things. But the rest of it, you know, it's a mystery. It's a great mystery of faith, but we believe it because, well, God says it's true. And so we believe it without hesitation, without doubt, without, you know, without any sort of uh, changing it or what have you, or, you know, trying to make it pal pal palatable to us rather than, but yet to accept it all. And that's, you know, again, that's faith because you're doing it on the word of God. Yes, yes. And that reminds me of uh, some atheists who might whip out the, oh, your belief, it, it's not based on anything. You just put you just put all this belief into, quote unquote, God. But of course, we know that there must be a designer out there, so to speak. The Big Bang just didn't happen. It's just very illogical. <laughs> There's nothing. And then obviously, you just go from there based on tradition, based on history, our Lord rose from the dead. The Catholic Church is the only religion that has been shown approval from God. So therefore, we can believe and then take faith, uh, have faith in those certain matters. Right, exactly. Right. On page 284, the headline reads, Many truths held today as revealed were not always so. They may have even been denied without shipwreck of the faith. <clears throat> yes, that's... This is a, and I wrote a little note here when I was looking at, when I was studying this uh, chapter, and I, I wrote basically that, you know, Vatican II, the modernists of Vatican II, uh, use this argument uh, ad nauseum. They use it um, like um, uh, to completely to justify uh, their new religion. And the reason why is that. They say, you know, many truths held today as revealed, of course, uh, you know, was not known before or it was not, um, you know, it, it was, uh, um, you know, unknown at all, totally, basically, before. Um, and, you know, as Monsignor went and proved in the last two little chapters before, he says, yeah, I mean, there are some, of course, that maybe were not exactly known, but they were implicitly believed and, and because of the truths attached to them. But what, so, but. What Vatican II and the modernists try to do is use that logic, which is the true logic of the church and the true understanding of the church, but twist it in this way. Because they'll say that, you know, <clears throat> things before, like uh, like uh, the doctrine, of course, or the dogma that there's no salvation outside the church. So the church, Catholic church is the only true church. That's it. There's nothing outside of which there's no salvation. So they'll say that and say, well, yeah, it was okay back then. And that's how it was understood. But now, you know, um, it's more, it's revealed more today now that that's really not the way it is. Because now, of course, we see that other true, other religions are, are ways of salvation for other people. And so basically what they're doing is they're trying to use the, the, the understanding of the church, uh, of what, how she sees, of course, of, of, of the truths that were held today or yesterday, but yet 
they will say that, you know, no, this, this justifies our position now. But it's actually, the thing of it is that they're teaching the exact opposite of what the church has taught before. There's the difference. Yes. Is yes. that, um, you know, it, it is actually contradicting what was taught before. And, and no truth, of course, contradicts itself, like we just mentioned before. Um, and so, you know, and Monsignor puts it very succinctly. He says, if we rely on the promises of Christ in the assistance of the Holy Ghost, the church not only may come into possession of all her treasures, but will also triumph over, over her enemies, which are ignorance, servitude, and vice. Um, and so, um, and Monsignor goes and continues to, to uh, um, explain a little bit more about the explicit implicit way. And he says, in the course of time, you know, many questions had to arise. And so, as we know, things, questions and uh, will arise. And even in the church, of course, uh, you know, you read uh, that, um, you know, you'll, you'll find in the, in the Acts of the Church in regards to, you know, questions being submitted to the Holy See about certain things. And, you know, so questions will be coming up about how do we do this or, or what is, how do we truly, how, how, do, how can we understand this better or this, etc. And they'll submit it, to, of course, to the Holy See and the Holy See will, will submit their answer and say, yes, you know, affirm it or no, a negative, etc. Um, so there's always been questions that were coming up of how to understand things better or what to do. And, and it's true that we're always free then to affirm or deny. But Monsignor says, of course, says, but though they follow different opinions, they agreed on one point. The doctrines about which the controversy is centered did not yet belong to the unity of faith. When any doctrine became sufficiently clear or was defined by the general councils of the church or by the sovereign pontiff, controversy ceased. So basically when Rome spoke, that was it. I mean, it was that was settled. And so it became then explicitly part of the deposit of faith. Not again a new revelation, but a decoration of a truth. So it was nothing new. It was just saying, declaring of the truth that has always been. But it had already been, of course, implicitly contained again in another truth revealed to, as Monsignor says, to the patriarchs, the prophets, or the apostles. So again, it's as we want to affirm, it, it, is, it is nothing new. It can be nothing new. It has always been uh, uh, implicitly or explicitly, of course, taught or believed. Um, it cannot change. And so, you know, when the modernists try to say, no, no, well, this is just, you know, a, 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 a progression of dogma or progression of the truth and you know because it actually contradicts what has always been taught before so there's that key difference is it cannot contradict anything it cannot be a direct opposite it cannot say well you know now we teach that all religions you know are pathways to to salvation to where you know the church taught before it was only the catholic church but now we know better now um no that's that's actually a, a denial of the faith um and so, uh, Monsignor uh, uses uh, um, a quote, actually, he quotes from Origen, who was a, a theologian of the church, early theologian of the church, but he says that, uh, Origen says that, uh, that there are truths which are manifestly taught in the church, which are described in the ecclesiastical preaching, and of which one is the judgment of the whole church, and also truths on other questions of scripture, which must yet be searched and thoroughly investigated, which cannot be easily discerned, which are not sufficiently distinguished in our doctrine, and which are not evident in the ecclesiastical preaching. In other words, basically de describing that, you know, there's the truth is there. It's just as not has yet been some truths, especially scripture-wise, like we were talking about the apocalypse. It just not has been yet fully explained yet. Uh, it has not been fully um, again, fleshed out, as you can say, from by the church. Uh, but the truth is already there. It's not like it's anything new. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, again, evident that not only that there may be truths contained in the deposit of faith, which may not always have been explicitly believed, but, there, but that there are in reality truths which, again, uh, were once implicitly contained in the deposit of faith and which must now be explicitly believed by all under pain of it, of eternal damnation. So, again, it's it's uh, there is no more 
revelation. You know, the revelation died, uh, or I should, revelation stopped with the death of the last of the apostles. So there's nothing new. Uh, all the truth, everything has been given by our Lord to the church. The church possesses it. It's just a matter, of course, of sometimes maybe um, eliciting more, a little bit understanding of, a, of that in a, in a greater way or some uh, other truths which have not been so fully explained yet. But the truth's always been there. There's nothing new uh, coming in. And so, you know, Monsignor, again, he ends kind of, uh, um, he gives an example. Um, he says, uh, um, like, uh, you know, those doctrines did not belong to the faith because the church had not yet passed judgment. Uh, they only became part of the faith after the church had solemnly proclaimed that they must be explicitly believed by all, such as the doctrines of the Immaculate Conception and the infallibility of the sovereign pontiff. But again, you know, those are those that were always the truth, that always been believed, uh, at least implicitly. Uh, but the church, of course, just uh, again made it explicitly, so to speak. In other words, it's like, um, you know, everyone believed it to be true, but it was the church who actually verbally then gave it that say, you know, for everyone, this is true, you know, even though everyone already knew it, but as the church was speaking her voice, uh, as because just to affirm that there, uh, for those again who maybe were denying it or those who were doubting it or those who were attacking it, uh, the church, you know, was forcibly then saying, no, this is the truth. Uh, you know, you take it or leave it. Um, and so, you know, as a Catholic, you have to take it. <laughs> yes, um, yes. So, but then Monsignor kind of ends, he, he kind of says, makes a little difference, distinction between uh, the remote rule of faith and the proximate rule of faith. And um, the remote rule of faith basically is the, objective deposit. It contains uh, revealed truths which, for some reason or another, were either forgotten, obscure, or not sufficiently understood. Hence, they were brought into discussion or denied without injury to faith until they became clear or were defined by the church. Um, in other words, those things that were had to be had to be just uh, understood better and the proximate rule of faith then is the more is the teaching of the church sufficiently proposed and manifestly promulgated to the faithful so you know whereas the 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 remote rule of faith was a little bit more cloudy yet but yet was on the verge then of being made clear whereas the proximate then rule of faith is the clearness of it it's just no doubt about it the rome has spoken at that point on page 288, the headline reads, Those truths which were not always explicitly believed as revealed could never have been so obscure that an opposite and negative consent could ever have prevailed against them. Again, another condemnation. Kind of a repeat, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, another condemnation of Vatican II. I mean, a modernist thought is that, you know, the, the church, of course, as, as mine, I like how Monsignor in the very beginning, he says, he says, the Catholic Church never disdains the study of her divine truths. She welcomes it. Careful inquiry, close research, watchful investigation into the deposit of the faith cannot but bring forth the truth more resplendent than ever. Ignorance, rather, is one of her greatest enemies. But there's always, of course, a caveat. There's always a, a, a stipulation in that the study of these things the inquiring of the truth, of the trying to understand the truth in a deep, deeper way, it must be made, as Monsignor writes, in a good spirit. It must not be prejudiced. It must not proceed with the view of combating the church. You know, when I was in, uh, in seminary in Vatican II, uh, and I think I had mentioned this before, but the premise for a lot of the classes, of the instructors of the classes, was not beginning with faith. It was not beginning with, yes, we believe all this, we believe it all, um, and then trying to understand it in a greater way or trying to, to be able to you know, uh, understand it better in a greater way and a more in-depth way to be able to explain it. It wasn't beginning with really with faith. It was actually be beginning with the proposition of, with a question of, is this really true? 
you know, is this, do we really have to believe this? And then, you know, going through the class and, you know, well, okay, I guess we can have to believe this. I guess we have to do this or, you know, it was, so it really wasn't starting with faith. Interesting. And so it was really, really starting with the premise of really combating the church in her teaching, trying to really disprove or disregard her her teaching. And so Monsignor says it, it always was the pretense of knowing more than the church that brought schism and heresy. And so, you know, that you can point to any heretic, any schismatic, and it's always, always, you can say, you know, hand in hand with that is there's pride, there's arrogance, uh, uh, you know, there's basically a, a haughtiness of, I know better than the church. I know better than, you know, this, this is, you know, I know, I know. It's always I, I, I. Um, so, but uh, again, as, as Monsignor points out too, and I mentioned before, you know, God permits errors in order that truth may be made manifest. You know, as as much as we, again, just hate heresy, as much as we, because it, of course it, it pulls away souls. Uh, but God allows it, of course, because of free will. We have free will, but nonetheless, He permits errors in order that truth then may be more may be made manifest for those who are of good will. Um, but He never uh, did, or nor ever will permit that, on account of any obscurity or circumstances. Error should supersede truth in His church. In other words, again, the church cannot be the problem. <clears throat> the church cannot be uh, the the uh, giver of error. Um, the church uh, cannot lead souls away uh, from Christ, from the truth. Um, so it is with that, of course, uh, that that uh, the church will never fall in. But that, again, again is, is a reminder of Vatican II, is that, you know, Almighty God permitted Vatican II. Uh, you know, he, he, he's permitted these errors in order eventually that truth may be made manifest. In other words, uh, you know, sometimes he has to, well, like we just mentioned before, how absurd, you know, uh, Bergoglio, you know, talking about, you know, that the that the uh, Trinity, of course, is divided, is, is uh, you know, you know, fighting amongst each other, and or just in the innumerable amount of heresies being that's coming from his lips, uh, you know, by rights, of course, you would think that I know a lightning bolt would come down and just you know zap him out of existence because of his terrible blasphemies that he's doing. But God permits these errors in order that truth may be mad may be manifest. In other words, truth always wins in the end, no matter how how much of a buffoon is trying to uh, you know trying to spout um, things against truth, because God will not be mocked. Um, so. And I think the the next little thing that Monsignor says, it's it's for us really, Sedevacantis, because he says <clears throat> the Catholic Church alone has the truth. Other religions sooner or later will disappear. And you know we, you know Vatican II it will eventually, of course, crumble upon itself. Uh, you know it it uh, it will die. Uh, on the vine, um, you know, off the vine, because it has cut itself off from the true vine. It will die eventually, um, you know, and it's because it is a fa- it's a false religion. And but the Catholic Church, of course, alone has the truth. It is the only one that has the truth, and so it will never die. And, and so, you know, that's a, a good thing for us to keep to keep in mind, you know, because uh, you know we see. You know, we see it looks like sometimes, you know, Vatican II was winning, so to speak, you know, you know, people, uh, but it's not. It's actually dying and it's dying hard. Mm, yes. um, but, <clears throat> and then uh, on Senior continues, uh, he, 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 uh, he says, in the course of time where the truth was, was, was obscure, it became clear. Where it was doubtful, it became certain. Where it, w- it seemed certain, it became evident. And he says, this process shall continue to the end of time. Um, you know, uh, it's basically, it's it's reminder to us, and we can see this about our own self, yourself, myself, all those who have seen the truth. You know, we all 
started off in a sense uh, at first you know, that the truth became sort of obscure for us. We're like, whoa, what's going on? We, you know, we began to see little tidbits that something wasn't right, and then it became obscure. And then, you know, began to pray more, began to study more. Then things became clear. And then where it was doubtful, maybe a little bit before, then it became certain. You know, it was, you know, maybe at some point some some had to say, well, I'm not sure if if, uh, you know, if Vatican II is 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 not the Catholic Church. I'm not sure. I'm a little doubtful on that. Then all of a sudden, boom, it came quite clear because you're open for it and you look for it and you study for it and you saw the truth. It became certain. Um, it became evident. And so, you know, we all have gone through that little process of that, uh, which Monsignor lays out. Um, and he says, you know, in a, in a very brief way, just to, about the, he, he divides it into three periods. He's, you know, the first period being that a doctrine is well known and explicitly believed, and there is no question about it. And it contains then implicitly some other doctrine tacitly believed. And so, like Monsignor gives the example, he says, the church always explicitly held that Mary is the mother of Christ. At the same time, the church implicitly believed that, on account of such a motherhood, Mary must have been immaculate from the first instant of her conception. So you have, again, you see the two uh, dogmas there. The, the, of course, uh, Mary, the mother of Christ, uh, the mother of God. And then within that, you have, well, the immaculate conception. So, but, you know, one came before the other. But they were still inter intertwined, and it was the church, of course, who fleshed that out. But the truth was always there. It was just a matter of, you know, on shedding greater light upon that. And and Monsignor says, then the second period, a doctrine implicitly contained in another doctrine and believed by all begins to be questioned or doubted. It is then more diligently examined and discussed. In other words, you know, again, we're required uh, that if if we have a you know, a, 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 a question or a doubt even, uh, you know, we under pain of sin, we have to alleviate that. We have to, we cannot just let that say, well, I just not sure. I don't, I doubt it. I just, but who, you know, like, cause it doesn't matter. No, it does matter. We have to, um, we have to make that clear. We have to alleviate that doubt. And Monsignor says, then the third period, the controversy then is brought to an end. Either the doctrine appears so clearly and evidently revealed that it is believed by the faithful without any explicit decision, or is decided by an infallible authority of the church. In either case, it passes to the explicit Catholic intellect and is seen clearly as a part of the deposit of faith. It is not a new doctrine, but one which was already contained in a doctrine better known and revealed. So again, Monsignor continues to reinforce that point. It's nothing new. It's nothing as like we, the church, kind of made it up. It was just in it already, but it was not yet explicitly uh, known. And so, you know, the 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 uh, you know, so the church, of course, is that, uh, uh, for lack of a better word, the 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 one who will flash those things out uh, uh, for us. And those, uh, you know, it basically, Monsignor says the first period of that con constitutes the, the shadow of the truth, the second, the transition period, and the third, then it's full light and the consent of the church. And so, um, you know, it's not, again, not as it wasn't new, it just wasn't, uh, it just the church had not yet fully uh, brought it to light. The church, you know, or I should say the faithful as well, did not quite yet see it clearly enough yet, but the church, of course, shone that light on it for us. Mm-hmm. On page 292, the definitions of the church on any revealed truth contain not only some of the truth, but the truth pure and simple. That's just another slam on Vatican II. <laughs> <laughs> because that slams again the notion of partial truths with Vatican II, you know, partial communion, partial that. Mm -hmm. It either is true or it isn't. Either it, you know, you know, I always try, I kind of use the example sometimes when I'm teaching. Uh, youngsters, um, is that, you know, I'll try to take, talking about truth, I'll try, I'll take a spoon and a fork, you know, and I'll try to say, okay, so you have the spoon and the fork. Okay. Tell me what are some characteristics of both, you know, they'll say it's silver, it's, you know, hard, it's, you know, for the fork, you know, it has tines for the spoon, you know, it has a 
concave or convex surface, you know, and uh, says, okay, yeah, so you write all these down, and everything is the same except for, you know, that slight difference, you know, the, the tines and the, the bowl on it, basically, on the spoon. So everything else is the same, but then is the fork a spoon? Can you call the fork a spoon? Can you call the spoon a fork? No. So, you know, it either is or it is, no matter what. You can contain all sorts of things, but at the bottom line, it has to have it all to be true. <coughs> so, but, you know, Monsignor, again, he explains, you know, when the church explains or defines any revealed truth, you know, we must, as Catholics, of course, we must accept her, the church's explanation or definition, according to that definite sense which she intends to convey. And that sense must not be distorted, must not be perverted, must not uh, or diminished by any so-called uh, science or philosophy or what have you. And in other words, it has to believe, be believed how the church says it to be believed. And, you know, it's with that, you see, um, you know, the, the heresies, of course, you know, will, you know, that will pop up from Vatican II. No, we, you know, the, the church really didn't mean to say it this way. It didn't really mean that. And, and, uh, you know, it's, it's you know, uh, so the modernists will kind of use that, well, you know, because, you know, like the, um, we'll use especially uh, what Monsignor uses as, as a good example. Next, he says, the church cannot allow any false science or any human intellect to divert her solemn definition to any other sense which she never intended under the pretext that the church, especially the church of the first centuries, lacked the philosophy or and the sciences of our times and this is again modernism in its what modernism does <clears throat> it'll say you know that uh the apostles or the you know the church before they just did not know better you know they didn't have the the uh sense uh to uh you know the 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 greater uh the greater worldly, you know, understanding that we have today. In other words, you know, modern man is so much better than uh, primitive man before us. You know, they say primitive man, you know, like man before us, uh, you know. Yes, all the fathers of the church were cavemen, weren't they, Father? <laughs> right, right, yeah, right. As if, like, you know, the a Catholic of the, say, um, 1100s, you know, was somehow just dragging his knuckles along ground, you know, and could just grunt and, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> To compare to you know a, you know a modern Catholic today you know who's, you know we just are so much more enlightened um, you know that's all bunk as uh, you know that's all terrible and actually it's a of course a heresy um, but Monsignor uses uh, the error uh, which again is uh, another great slam of Vatican II uh, the, he's, he he puts the um, the error of a of a, of a man called Gunther, obviously probably German, I'm sure, um, sounds German, um, yes. but uh, who was writing in the middle of the 18th or 19th century, and he claimed that the definitions of the church, although infallible, contain only a part of the truth, but not all the truth. Um, and so basically he said that the church, lacking modern philosophy and the knowledge of modern sciences, did not understand her own definitions. She did not possess a definite manner of expressing dogmatic truths. <clears throat> so basically, again, that's just uh, uh, saying that, you know, somehow the church is insufficient in herself, um, that the church is insufficient in her language to be able to convey truth, the truth which Christ had given to the apostles, that, uh, you know, until, you know, you had modern science or modern man to to be able there to rescue the day and say, no, no, this is what, you know, we can say now. But to give you an, an example, another example from Vatican II is, again, from seminary. When I was in seminary, we had a uh, Jesuit uh, moral theology teacher, and he was a true, te true, true priest. Uh, but he had made the claim in one of our classes, because we were talking about marriage, um, uh, he would made the claim uh, and he made it to be an infallible claim, really, in, in regards to the class. Anyway, um, he had says, you know, you know that the, the church she did she did not understand marriage, understand the sacrament of marriage until Vatican II. Ouch. Well, but that's exactly that's the error then, really, of Gunther, which mm -hmm. is 
uh, you know, one of the has imbued modernism. I mean, that is that is, you know, the basically saying that dogmas change. They develop according to the times um, that truth changes and it can only truth only matters or can only be explained by, you know, those of you know, have uh, greater intellect of today. And, you know, uh, and, you know, how we're so much off better today than they were before, how we're, you know, uh, you know, we're just a higher race now or species, whatever you want to say that the people are trying to say today, it's all just uh, uh, error and heresy. Um, yes, that's, that's ridiculous to say that it belittles the church. It, it, it basically is denies that the the church is guided by the Holy Ghost to say that it's ignorant in such matters. Right, <clears throat> right. I mean, because what you're right, it, because it denies <clears throat> that in the things that, of course, those explicit <clears throat> things of the faith, which we must know, I must understand. You know, those who get married, they have to understand why they're getting married. What is mm-hmm. marriage? I mean, why is the purpose? What is the purpose of marriage? They have to understand that um, to fulfill the obligations of that. And so, yeah. That, to say that is just again to say that the church again was uh, childlike, mm-hmm. was you know just uh, really ir- irrelevant compared to modern man, modern science, and you know it, it does away with the true idea of divine tradition and with the infallibility of the church. <clears throat> I mean, it does deny that. That's what modernists and really you know those uh, of Recognize and resistors as well. They either modernist either explicitly or recognize as resistors implicitly uh, deny the infallibility of the church, and they also de- deny the indefectibility of the church. Um, so, you know that's what you face today. And and but Monsignor and, and just in this chapter, I mean, just slams it right. I'm mean, just simply right and right and left. Just it just doesn't stand. To Vatican II does not stand a chance, even in this chapter. Um, and so, and and he goes on and he explains a little bit more about, you know, the Gunther's uh, opinions and um, the understanding of that and and how that has really um, um, philosophy of of <clears throat> of that. And he says that they proclaim reason superior to faith. You know, like what I said before, these some of those instructors, you know, basically putting reason above faith. Um, and, and in practice, they try to increase revelation through the help of science and modern philosophy. But the church declares, if anyone says that in the dogma once proposed by the church, it is possible through the progress of science to give a different sense from the one which the church understood and understands, let him be anathema. The doctrine of the faith. The doctrine of the faith which God revealed is not proposed to human intellects to be perfected as some philosophical theory, but being delivered as a divine deposit to the spouse of Christ, it must be faithfully kept and infallibly declared. For this reason, the sense of the sacred dogmas to be retained forever is that one which Holy Mother Church once declared, nor is it to be diverted from that sense under the specious name of higher intelligence. Because there is no higher intelligence. Right, right, because the church, I mean, of course, gives that perfectly to the children. It cannot deceive. It cannot give error. It cannot uh, be ambiguous in anything. Uh, But, you know, that that came directly from Vatican Council, the first Vatican Council. Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. that, I think, in my opinion, that the, in God's, in God's uh, providence, of course, uh, at the time of the First Vatican Council, of course, the 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 papacy itself was being highly attacked, even from those within. Um, and, but that was part also of the the uh, canons of Vatican One was explaining the infallibility of the of of, of the Pope, uh, but also explaining these things of doctrine uh, that it does not. Uh, you know, uh, change. It does not, it cannot be twisted, etc., like that, um, in, according to modern times. But this was, it was preparing us and giving us ammunition to combat the errors of today, to combat the errors of modernism, of Vatican II. And so it's, it's, it's interesting to me how Vatican I condemns Vatican II. <laughs> you know, the true council of the church of Vatican I really condemns the false council, the false religion of Vatican II. 
um, and, and preparing us. And you know, to point out how this is used in a practical way too is that I remember again in seminary, you know, we being taught, uh, you know, to have a high place uh, in regards to uh, modern uh, psychological teachings, you know, like of Jung and uh, um, Skinner and all these guys, you know, all these um, psychiatrists and psychologists and, you know, how that was, uh, we had to do uh, these certain, we had to take all these tests all the time about psychiatry and things of that nature and how that has been the focus of Vatican II to, because in their mind, the modernist mind, you know, that this is what they say is that what the Vatican I had had condemned is that you know we need modern science and philosophy to you know to to make a better job of the definitions of the faith and uh, it's not it's not what the church has always taught or and so in other words the definitions of the church are to be believed by an unchangeable and immovable faith in those formal words and in that understanding which are proposed to the faithful period um, you know, and this is why Monsignor stresses too. He says, this is done principally by the assistance of the Holy Ghost, who directs the legislators of the church rightly to understand revelation and to choose the right words in expressing, explaining, and declaring it to the faithful. So, if one were to deny that and say, you know, to change the definitions that the church had already given and say, no, we need to. You know, they, that's not really what the church meant. It's not really what it should, you know, it's somehow we've come more enlightened, is ultimately then to call the Holy Ghost a liar. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, which Vatican II, in praxis, does. Um, and so, you know, it's because, because of the Holy Ghost, the enlightenment of the Holy Ghost, it, that comes first. And it, it causes, as Monsignor explains, the human element of philosophy, of science and philology, uh, uh, theology, to to take the right course, to declare what is right, and to use the right terms in the declaration of the truth. In all this, there can be no contradiction, no ambiguity, no place for retraction. So in, in matters of faith and morals, there can be no contradiction, there can be no ambiguity, no place for retraction. Now, Look to what you have in Vatican II, and you can see there's always contradiction, there's always ambiguity, and there's always retraction going on all the time. Uh, just the sheer fact you have uh, Magoligo's documents, you know, Amoris Letizia, you know, the, his, uh, you know, Joy of Divorce um, document, basically. Yes. Um, you know, he put that out, you know, to try to you know, be clear, and this is no, this is the teaching now, this is the teaching of the church. But it's still unclear for everyone. You're still arguing about it. <clears throat> um, you know, so there is always contradiction. There's always ambiguity. And right, and you read any of the encyclicals of the false popes of Vatican II, and it's always ambiguous. Even read the documents of Vatican II itself. There's a lot of ambiguity in it. Mm-hmm. In the, that's certainly then a sign that is not from the Holy Ghost. <laughs> that is not the truth. Mm, um, yes. And so, um, the, the, uh, Monsignor again, you know, continues to, to remind, you know, that whatever may be the human element in the definitions of the church, uh, that human element can never come from philosophy left to itself, uh, but only from the assistance of the Holy Ghost. Uh, you know, it is the Holy Ghost, of course, which does form the human element, of course, to say and do exactly what is meant to be done. Um, and so, you know, Monsignor note says, too, is no human philosophy of the 19th century or any other century can add more truth to the definitions of the church. Any attempt is a perversion of truth. But again, of course, Vatican II does that all the time. Um, and so, you know, again, to end it, you know, Monsignor does end. He says, if there, therefore, in the definitions of the church, there may be any progress, it is the progress of the faithful in the faith rather than of the faith in the faithful. St. Albert the Great remarks that. So it is not as if the truth changes, 
it's that the faithful understand it better. Um, and so the definitions of the church, therefore, contain in themselves not only a part of the truth, but all the truth, simple and pure. So uh, it is, uh, again, there's nothing new. There's nothing that can be added. There's nothing that can be, you know, oh, we have a new teaching now. There's no new teachings. Um, it, is, uh, it is always the truth and always will be. 